Hey, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And today, we're going to learn about what your favorite grain, bread, has to do with eternal life. share a quote with you that has to do with uh, what Pastor Lucas will be sharing about in just a few minutes. Uh, it is, I love bread. I love bread. Me too, Oprah. The quote is Oprah Winfrey. Um, well, we're talking all things bread today. And so um, I I started making bread during uh, COVID. Like everyone. Um, and I learned a lot about bread generally. Uh, and so I have a fun fact for you. Did hey. you know that uh, historically, like civil unrest was often preceded by the price of bread rising and increasing. Um, and it's because like bread is such a staple of so many diets that um, oftentimes there would be like a, a very obvious correlation between civil unrest and the price of bread increasing. So if you see it at your grocery store increasing. It's time to riot, no beware. just joking. Just beware. <laughs> but like, that makes sense because even during COVID, there was such a sense of security to know that I could make my own bread. Yes. Like yeah. with grocery store shelves emptying, mm -hmm. right? And then when flour was disappearing, it was like, no. <gasps> Remember that? Where we had to like source it from some strange yes. website? Yes. <laughs> from Ontario. I know. Like private mill. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Um, and then I have another one for you um, because you it's know, bread. It's yeah. bread. Um, did you know the Middle East that oftentimes cultures there will not cut their bread? Um, and they will do that because bread is so like sacred to them and important to their culture um, that they won't like the act of taking a knife and like sawing through a slice of bread um, is just like so horrifying to them. And so uh, oftentimes they will just only rip bread um, and oftentimes it's like flat breads and so it's easy to right. kind of rip and distribute. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's like such a sacred thing. And you know, I kind of feel like I should like, I, I like revere bread myself as well. So um, yeah, so it's often not cut in, in Middle Eastern countries. There you go. Well, that'd be hard to make a PB&J sandwich with uh, ribbed bread, but right. you know, all good. Um, and thanks for those fun facts. So now we are going to turn it over to Pastor Lucas for our message today. Thanks guys. Uh, thanks for all that kind of weird information about bread. Um, if you're joining us, you're wondering what was that all about? We're, we're, we're going to kind of discover what the idea of bread has to do with truth, has to do with salvation, has to do with eternal life. And uh, bread becomes this sort of metaphor in scripture. But, but before we get there, let, let's discuss kind of the revelation of truth. Let's talk about what, what truth looks like. Because truth can be a funny thing, you know. The discovery of truth can, can do one of kind of three things to us. Uh, either it can kind of revolutionize the way that we live and perceive the world. Uh, it can kind of bypass us where we just are, are ignorant of it. Um, and how many, how many know that, that ignorance is not bliss uh, at times? Just, just because you're ignorant of something doesn't mean it's not true or it's not a reality. And then the third thing that it does, and this, this is often the case, it disrupts us. Uh, when we come face to face with truth and reality, objective truth and reality, it, it disrupts our lives. It demands that we change something. And, and that can do one of two things. It either causes us, revolutionizes our lives and causes change. Or 
it causes us to kind of revolt and rebel against it and get angry and bitter and, and all of those things. So this is kind of the, the funny thing about reality, the funny thing about objective truth. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't help but think of a uh, kind of a mainstay of the alternative news media. You would know who this person is, but they'll, they'll often say, facts don't care about your feelings. Um, and you might, you might say it this way, the truth, reality does not care about your feelings. And today, I want to kind of push back on that kind of idea and that philosophy and that take on truth because it's kind of missing a key component to what truth is. And that is, that is the personification of truth. And of course, I'm talking about the way, the truth, and the life. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate revelation, personification of what is true, what is true about God, what is true about us as his creation. And so we need to kind of take this into account. And I want to convince you today that truth is more than just artificial man-made constructs. The, the truth is, is really, it's personified in the one who created all things. And we know that he does, he does care about your feelings. You know, in fact, we just recently did a Hebrew study and, and part of the kind of push of Hebrews is Jesus is high priest. And one of the qualifications that Hebrews kind of spells out for us as Jesus is high priest, one of his qualifications is that he can empathize with the human condition. He can empathize with temptation and our brokenness and the tension of living in this broken world. And so I'm going to push back a little bit in that Jesus is truth and he does care about your feelings. But we're going to kind of unpack that a little more as we go. You know, the journey of discovering truth at times, it's, it's kind of, at times in our lives, it's slow and it's linear. It's, it's kind of a precept built upon a precept upon a precept that leads us to reevaluation, changing our lives, changing our behaviors, changing our outlook and our perspectives. But too often we, we don't get there because we get so fixated on one thing or another that, or we kind of find ourselves asking the wrong questions on this journey of discovering truth. Now, this is going to be the case uh, with the crowd that we're about to kind of talk about here in the Gospel of John in the first century. Uh, for those of you, maybe you're new with us today, uh, we are in a series called the Gospel of John, where we are exegetically kind of studying through Scripture. And uh, so we welcome you. We welcome you to this journey of faith that you're on along with us. And uh, we're going to kind of jump in. Now, I'm going to let you in a little bit of secret. Preachers often, when we get large swaths uh, of passages of Scripture, we kind of like to try to read it and interrupt it and bring in our own commentary. And, and I'm starting to realize that perhaps, um, perhaps Scripture doesn't need as much commentary as we would like to think. So we are going to unpack this. But I'm just going to read it verbatim to you right now. And I believe that, you know, you can track along with us. Now, if you need a Bible to track along, just visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And we can get you a Bible right away, right there. So myevangel.church forward slash Bible. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. 
And we're going to start verse 22 and we're going to go all the way to verse 40. And we're going to read this moment in the account of John. So it says this, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father." that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So let's kind of dig into the context of what's going on here. Now, if you were here with us last week, you would have heard about the storm that arose. The disciples were fearful. Um, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, John, uh, he kind of glazes over this moment. Matthew gets much more into it. And you have to kind of ask the question, you know, if, if John if John is skipping over, you know, walking on the water and, and his opportunity to kind of throw Peter under the bus and rib him a little bit, this, this, this must be important. So he's kind of skipped over the whole Jesus walking on the water moment to get to this right here. And he really gets into this moment in the Gospel of John. So it causes us to kind of take note begin to really dig into this and stop and think and meditate on what's happening here. Now, I love how Jesus operates because he was asked the question. The people saw the disciples leave. They saw that Jesus had not got into that boat. And yet now Jesus is on the other side with them. So they're wondering, how did you get over there? And Jesus does what Jesus does best. He completely ignores their question on the surface and he digs and he gives them an answer that goes much deeper into the motivations of why they are even now there in Capernaum. So you're going you're gonna to see that in, in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, he, he, he essentially says, you're not seeking me just, just because you witnessed a sign, but because that sign directly benefited you. You're, you're here because I fed you, because you ate of the loaves. Now, just as a side note, part of what Jesus is saying here is, is, is beware when your faith is predicated on what you get out of it. Because that's going to set you up for a faith that has very shallow roots. It has to be more than you receiving the miracle and the sign that Jesus performs. And we're going to kind of unpack that as we go here. But what happens next is both freeing and, let's say, tension-inducing uh, at the same time. Because here's the response of the crowd. They, then they said to him, verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, you have to keep in mind that in the first century, the prominent kind of teachings around salvation, the salvific teachings, were kind of a category of three. The, the first category was your, your good works were enough. You were doing enough good things and you had this kind of salvation as they understood salvation. Righteousness as they understood righteousness. The, the second category was uh, your good works were lacking. And so you were doing too many evil things and not enough good things and, and it was not balancing out. So you were not saved. You were not walking in this kind of redemption and salvation. But then there's kind of this tongue-in-cheek third category that they would talk about. And that is the third category of being somewhere in between. Somewhere in between being out and somewhere in between being good. And, and maybe, just maybe, you're just one good work away from crossing the line into being saved. And so this is sort of the context. This is kind of the idea that was driving the belief system of the Jewish people of the first century. And I would argue that even to this day, this is kind of the biggest misconception about Christianity and what it is to be a Christian. You know, those on the outside that might look in and go, Christian faith is about doing all the right things and, and not doing all the wrong things. And, and there's this assumption that this is kind of the seal of our salvation our deeds, our good works. And if you're taking notes, just write this down because I just really believe this is, this is just such a true statement. The Christian doesn't do good works to earn salvation. The Christian doesn't do good works to earn salvation. They do good works because they have met the Savior. There's a big difference between these two things. They do good works because they have met the Savior. Our good works are an outflow of this new reality of knowing Jesus, the bread of life. So let, let's, let's unpack this. Uh, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, the only work you do in regards to your salvation is your response 
of faith to believe. To believe what? To believe in the one that God had sent. So we, we need to kind of understand now who, who are we talking about. So in verse 30 it continues. So they, they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now here we see this, um, this kind of setup that Jesus is creating because he's leading He's leading, again, this crowd on this kind of precept upon precept, this linear idea that's going to lead him to a revelation. And so we need to track with this, this moment as Jesus is setting this up and he's leading them to this revelation. And ultimately, he's going to reveal himself as that one. But the crowd is now demanding a sign and, and, and can't help but make the parallels between bread and having eaten those loaves and now thinking back to manna as, as a sign from God of sustaining life. And so they're kind of making this parallel now. Now the first century kind of Judaism carried with it a number of myths uh, and legends around uh, the manna. They, they believed that the manna, there's this legend that the manna was put into a clay pot and it was put into the Ark of the Covenant. And and Jeremiah, so the story goes, uh, went in and they, he took the clay pot and he took the manna out to keep it safe and that he would produce it when the Messiah came. And so this is kind of the lore and the legend of the manna and, and in relation to the revelation of the Messiah, the one who would come and save Israel. So they're so fixated on the manna that they find themselves kind of lost in the weeds. They, kind, they find themselves missing the point. We, we would say they're missing the main thing. They're not keeping the main thing the main thing. Because it, it's not about the manna. The, the manna is actually a type and a shadow. It's a foreshadowing. It's a metaphor speaking to the bread of life that was to come. Speaking about Jesus, a gift given by God to give life. And again, we, we end up in the realms of shallow faith when our faith is built on the sign. Because they're looking for a sign here. They're looking for, you know, what are your credentials based on what can you do miraculously and present to us? Even though they had already seen signs and wonders and miracles through the life and the work and ministry of Jesus. Now, it's funny because I walk through life with a lot of people and there's this sort of unfortunate reality for some. And though they're exploring faith in Jesus, they're waiting for a sign. They're, they're waiting for some kind of lightning bolt moment that kind of just uh, corroborates the story, co co corroborates the, the stirring of the Spirit in them. And, and there's those that who, who the, the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus to them, but they're looking for Jesus plus something else. They're looking for Jesus plus a sign. They're looking for Jesus plus a miracle. 
They're looking for him to, to meet their need or to change their circumstance or to uh, reveal himself through a miraculous moment. And, and though there are moments and times when that does happen, here's the point of this moment. Jesus plus nothing is what you're looking for. The, the point of this moment and this teaching is Jesus is revealing himself and we can either in that revelation of Christ, believe or disbelieve. And this is the option that he's giving us. Any sign we do come across is, is simply there to point us to Jesus. And Jesus himself, you know, he walked this planet healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. And the whole time he kept saying, I'm doing the will of my father. The entire time that Jesus did what he did on this planet, he deferred the glory and the attention to the Father. The same way the Holy Spirit who has now come and has breathed life into the church and is revealing Jesus in this and globally across generations. The signs and the wonders and the miracles that the Spirit performs in this world and in this time and this moment isn't about the sign and the wonder. It's about pointing people to Jesus as this singular person that can bring life, that can bring restoration, that can change your circumstance, that can give you life. And so this idea of seeking signs for the sake of signs is so misguided when the signs are there as a tool simply to point you to the one, Jesus. Now, um, so often in the Christian church, I kind of see kind of the same kind of idea there's sort of an addiction at times of those that keep on just seeking signs and wonders in a way that they lose sight of the main thing. You know, I'll be the first to say, I would like to see more signs and wonders in our time. I would like to see um, the spirit move in powerful, miraculous, supernatural ways more and more in this time, but not at the expense of missing out on Jesus. Not at the expense of making revival culture, an idol that we chase, and missing out on the person of Jesus because the miracle points us to Christ. You know, the, the, the scriptures say that the enemy can also replicate signs and wonders and miracles. So we need to, we need to, through the word of God, understand who Christ is and all other things simply point us, turn our heads, to Jesus, who is the source of all of it anyway. When we pursue the signs and wonders, we miss the very point of the supernatural works of God. They exist and intersect our reality to point people to Jesus. The moment they become anything other than that, it's idolatry. And so we need to check ourselves, even as believers, when it comes to signs and wonders and the miraculous. Friends, my heart is to see God move, but my heart is to see God move that others would see Jesus. That's the point. That's the main thing. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm wondering if you uh, suffer from the same dissatisfaction that I do. You know, this, this sort of human condition where we hype things up in our minds and, and once we achieve that thing or get that thing or, or, or lose that thing or, 
or pursue that. We, we think that it's going to fulfill us somehow and it ends up leaving us empty. You, you know, we would say things like, if only I was in a relationship, then I'd be happy, I'd be fulfilled. Or, or maybe you'd say, if I wasn't in a relationship, then I'd be happy, I'd be filled. If only I had kids, or, or if only I didn't have kids, or, or, or if only I had those clothes, or if I had that job, or those finances, or, or I had that uh, ability to travel, then I'd be okay, then I would find fulfillment. This thirst, this hunger of my soul would be satiated. But friends, the human condition is one of hunger and thirst. There's this kind of hunger that can't be satiated and, and this thirst that can't be quenched within us. And, and here Jesus is now unpacking this great dilemma that we find ourselves in. And we all know this to be true. If we take a moment and a step back and we evaluate life and living, we can see that the trend of not being able to fill that hunger and that thirst that we all have continues and continues and continues. And so Jesus is just revealing this reality of the human condition. And he's saying that the miracle of the manna all those years ago was, was more than just a temporary solution to satiate and, and, and the hunger and to give life for a short amount of time. It was actually existed to, to, to reveal this one that would come that would bring eternal life, eternal fulfillment. He says, I am the one who will satisfy that thirst you have. I am the one who will fill that void of hunger in your soul. Forget the sign. <laughs> I am the source of the signs and the wonders. And so the people, they're looking for a sign and Jesus responds. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 36. Remember, he's taking them on this linear path to revelation. So he recognizes the motivation of the heart. He leads them to this understanding of, of the thirst and the hunger and that there is something that will quench it, but it's eternal. It's sent by God. And now he's going to reveal himself as that bread. So verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, remember, we talked about this three-tiered belief system that the crowd's kind of working off of. And, and, and you know, in, in on the good works, out because of your lack of good works or evil works, and then somewhere kind of on the scale in between. But Jesus is now giving them a new paradigm. He's revealing a truth to them that's going to change everything for those that believe, those that accept it, uh, but it's also going to change everything for those who reject it. And so let's, let's kind of dig into that. Um, Verse 40, the second part of verse 40, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And this, this right here, it becomes the great tension of, of, of our world. Because when we're confronted with the truth of our circumstance, that we have this, this hunger and this thirst that cannot be quenched in this world, we are offered only one solution here. Christianity is both simultaneously exclusive 
and inclusive. What I mean by that is it's inclusive because Jesus extends that invitation of salvation to everyone. But it's also exclusive because Jesus is the bottleneck. He is the narrow way. He is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life, the way to eternal life, the way to filling that void within you. And so there is only one way. But he, he kind of does this. He speaks to this with, with empathy and love and longing to have a relationship with you. You know, this is the truth. He is the truth. Not, not a cold, calculating, doesn't care about your feelings kind of truth. He is a person. He personifies truth in a way that he loves you. He empathizes with you. He even understands the tension that kind of rises up in you when you hear things like, he's the only way. Yet, it doesn't change the reality of the situation. Now, now he's kind of bringing a new paradigm that there's not three, there's, there's really two types of people in the world. Those who have seen Jesus and have believed, and those who have seen Jesus and have not believed. Now, I don't, I don't say that to be cold. I, I say that because I love you enough to tell you the truth about the reality of our existence. You know, the Holy Spirit is revealing Jesus to you. And now it's up for you. It's, it, the ball is in your court. What are you going to do with Jesus? Because as he's revealed to you, you can either believe or you can disbelieve who he says he is. Now I'm convinced, I am convinced that he is the sent one from God. I am convinced that he is God and I, and I believe him to be my savior. And that's the only thing, that belief, that faith and that belief and that acceptance of his free gift of salvation for me is the only reason that I'm saved. I'm not saved because I'm a good person. I'm not saved because I did enough good things. I'm not even saved because I love my neighbor as myself fully, or that I love God fully in, in every part of my being. Here's the reality, I don't. I'm not perfect. The only thing I bring to the table is my belief and my faith that he is the son of God and that he is the savior of the world. Now, do good deeds follow? Does, does a change in the way we live follow? Yeah, remember, you know, the Christian isn't a Christian because of their good deeds. Uh, a Christian does good deeds because they've met the Savior. And when you meet the Savior, he changes you and he begins to shift your priorities and your behaviors. And, and he begins to teach you a better way of living, a way that brings life and fulfillment in all areas and aspects of life. Um, and so, yes, are there good deeds that follow? Absolutely, but the good deeds are not what bring us to salvation. So today, I want to ask you to consider a Savior in Jesus Christ who personifies truth, who does so with empathy and understanding and love, but is unmovable in the realities of this world. It is unmovable in the reality that we need a Savior, that we are broken, and that Jesus is the only way. Again, Christianity is fully inclusive because he's died for everyone. He has revealed himself through the Spirit to everyone. But he's also exclusive because the only way to the Father is through the acceptance of the Son. Consider that, that the hunger that we all have in our souls is not a cruel joke. You know, God is not a sadist looking to be cruel. God actually saw us in our brokenness and he in love sent his Son to save us from the cruelty 
of this reality of our soul being unsatisfied in the things of this world. And so here we are, the bread of life, Jesus. And he, he declares himself the bread of life in this moment in the Gospel of John to this first century crowd that are seeking the signs and the wonders. But he breaks through the motivations of their heart. and He says, listen, you, you need to stop looking just for the sign. You need to look to me. And that message, that gospel message plays out even today because the Spirit of God reveals Jesus even in this moment. I don't know where you're at on your faith journey, but I believe that the Spirit is revealing Jesus to somebody today. And I want to just pray this prayer with you. So we just bow our heads. Lord, I thank you so much that you sent your Son, that your Son revealed himself in this kind of way. You know, there's those that say that Jesus never declared himself God. Well, there... This is, this is declaration of Godhood right here. And so either we can take Jesus at his word or we need to call him a false teacher or a horrible person. Those are the only options we really have. He was either a liar, he was either a cheat, or, or he was really who he said he was. And so, Lord, we, we believe in this moment that you are who you said you were. And that, Lord, you are a risen savior that Holy Spirit, you are revealing Jesus to us right now. And Lord, we choose to believe, not through our works, not through anything that we have to bring to the table. We just simply in faith choose to believe, Lord Jesus, you are my savior. And you have given me life and you will give me life and you will teach me a better way. And you will lead God and direct me in the rest of my days. And so Lord, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart and my life and make me new in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, friends, for being with us. And if you need to chat or talk, uh, we are a physical location. We exist in Powell River, BC, Evangel Church, and uh, we have in-person gatherings. And if you are part of this region and you kind of, for the first time, perhaps prayed that prayer with me or you feel a stirring in your heart, or maybe you just want to explore more about what faith and Christianity is about, uh, we would welcome you on a Sunday, 10 o'clock. Come, say hi to me. I would love to meet you. And we exist to walk with one another through faith journey until that day that Jesus comes again or we are with him in eternity. God bless everyone. Well, thank you so much, Lucas, for that reminder, just bringing us back down to some of the foundations of faith. Well, we have a few announcements for you, and the first is a fun one. Yep. If you have kids or you're watching right now and you are going into grade five, six, or seven, we have a party coming yeah, up we'll just do. for you. Our preteen parties are resuming on <laughs> July 28th at 6.30 p.m. So again, that's for anyone going into grades right. five, six, or seven. If you have a student going into grade eight, they can come to youth now. Yeah, that's true. So we want to just kind of ship those down as we intake our grade eights up into youth. So make sure you head on over to our website, myevangel.church forward slash register, yes. because we still do need to register for that party specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we have our next hashtag challenge coming up on August 6th. It is hashtag adventure is out there. Um, we know that in Powell River, there's adventure like literally right outside your door. And so now that we uh, have the opportunity to do fun stuff again, uh, we invite you to go on an adventure. Like whatever that means for you, go on an adventure with your family, with some friends, um, whether that's, you know, in nature, whether that's 
somewhere else, find a spot to have an adventure. Um, and then post a picture and tag us at myevangel.church on Instagram uh, or on Facebook if you just like press the at symbol and then start typing in Evangel Pentecostal Church Powell River. It'll come like a drop down menu, you click our icon and it'll tag us in that as well um, because we just want to celebrate all of the adventure that we get to go on now and uh, maybe find a new adventure for us to go on later. Yes, absolutely. Share the knowledge. Yeah. Well, camp is still coming up. And thank you so much. We have had some people volunteer. Yeah. We've had some kids and preteens get signed up for camp. And we've even had somebody offer a sponsorship yes, that's true. Um, if there was a student who wanted to go and funds just weren't available. So mm -hmm. thank you for saying yes to uh, the opportunity to serve and to attend camp. Well, there is still space for you though. Yes. So nanusbaycamp.ca or you can talk to either one of yep. us and we will get you connected to serve, to attend, um, whatever you are looking for answers, we have them or we know where to find them. True. And so we would love to see you at camp this summer. And then finally, if you want to partner with what we're doing here at Evangel, uh, there is an opportunity to do that. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash give, it will give you all the ways that you can kind of walk that out. And uh, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving and how it has truly sustained uh, the work that God is doing here as we partner with him with what he is doing in Powell River and around the world. Well, thank you so much for joining us, friends. We're so glad that you were here on our Sunday stream. We hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll hopefully see you next week. Thank you.